This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Um, such a good day to be in church. Happy New Year. Now, to get started, let me just say Merry Christmas. We weren't together last Sunday, right? I don't know if you're like me. Just a lot of Christmas presents exchanged in just a few days. Some good gifts, right? Anybody get some good gifts this Christmas? The kind of gifts you weren't expecting, right? Like the stomach bug, right? Anybody get a stomach bug? That's, that's pretty, it was going around, right? That's the gift. Just keeps on giving. Just keeps on for days, it seems like. All right, and, and maybe, maybe you're like me. Anybody get a, a present this Christmas? You didn't, even, you didn't even know you needed that present until you got it. Um, my youngest son, they do a thing at his school where you can go buy gifts for your family. So that means totally unsupervised. You just send them with money, have no idea where they get these gifts from. And so he comes home with a present for my wife, delivers it. It's a, it's a pink pillow with Minnie Mouse and a unicorn on it, which was wonderful for my wife. And somebody at Goodwill is going to love that really soon. <laughs> Didn't know I needed that, right? It's a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you had a good Christmas. And I hope you have a happy new year. Thank you for being, what a great place to be here. I was thinking just as I was preparing for this message, January 1st, how did this get considered the start of a new year? For centuries, uh, Christmas, December 25th was considered the start of a new year or March 25th. There's two different days outside of January 1st. Roman King uh, Numa Pompilius revised the Roman calendar in 15 or in 153 BC. And, and in his revision, he moved the start of, of the new year to January 1st. So that means that during the life of Jesus, the, the first day of a new year would have been January 1st. So it would have been kind of his ebb and flow. But if you're familiar with history, just a couple centuries after the life of Jesus, the Roman Empire was overthrown. And at that point in time, kingdoms just arose throughout kind of the known world, and they all adopted different calendars. So it kind of reverted back to March 25th, which is the Feast of Annunciation, or December 25th, which is Christmas. And those, for centuries, literally, that would have been, and it might have been which kingdom you are in, all right? In 1582, Pope Gregory issued what is now our calendar, the Gregorian calendar. It was the first time that it, we were accounted for things like leap year, right? So you may, may think, you know, that add, that add to February, those sorts of things. This is the calendar that did it. So this is the calendar we use. But that was not fully accepted worldwide, including Great Britain and the United States until 1752, which means there were under 300 years for this having been considered the start of a new year. Isn't that crazy? So many of us is like, it had to have been this way forever, but it hasn't. But now, because we view it this way, January 1st, New Year's Day, 
is a day of, it's a day of hope. It's a day of resolutions. Anybody make some resolutions this year? Anybody in here? Like nobody. That's awesome. 39% of adults make New Year's resolutions. That means some of y'all lying, okay? You have. But here's the thing about resolutions. 23% of those people quit in the first week. Some of y'all are like, I'm going to eat better this year. I'm going to eat better, and by like Wednesday, you are done. You are done with that resolution. I'm going to go to the gym. You go to the gym on Monday, and you are so sore on Tuesday, I'm not going back to the gym. I'm never doing that again. Only 9% keep their New Year's resolutions. Nine. Under a tenth. It's amazing. But there's something about this day that provokes within us hope. This reset of a new year that gives us the courage to dream that our lives could be better. The top four resolutions historically in the last decade or I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to save money. Why do we make those kinds of resolutions? Because we want to believe that there's better for ourselves. We want to believe that I can look better, I can feel better, I can be better. And it's really the hope of new a new year, a new try. But I want to remind you of something I've said about hope. And this is important because if you don't see this, you won't understand why we do all of this. An invitation to hope implies the presence of a problem. So a day when we're so moved towards hope. I, I, I just want to hope that things could get better. I want to hope that I could be better. Really, when there's such a permanence of, of hope, this kind of day where just the whole day is encapsulated with hope, it's pointing to there's a problem. What's the problem? We're not healthy. And we know it. We, we know that, and, and I know I'm not right with God, and I, 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 I need to get into my Bible, and I, I don't know my Bible. I know I'm not physically healthy. I need to start making better decisions about what I eat. We know it, but we haven't done anything about it. So there's this moment of, of hope. We need hope. We need hope in our lives. Because in so many ways, we know that things aren't right. We need hope. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13. Look at this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Some of y'all, there's some stuff inside that feels broken. It's this. Well, I, I hoped that when I, when, I, when I finally... Last year, I said, I'm going to lose some weight, and I lost, I lost 15 pounds. I thought if I lose 15 pounds, I'll, I'll finally, and I got there, and it wasn't. And then I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to go to the gym, and you, you go to the gym, and you work. And it just, I read this blog, and this lady said, if you'll do these four things, you'll feel satisfied. And you, but you keep hoping in these things, and you, you get there in what you hoped to get. 
is not there for you. You know that hopelessness is seen by mental health professionals to be one of the most prominent signs pointing to major underlying issues. Hopelessness can point to different things. Sometimes it's substance abuse, suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety. Why is it such a big deal to be without hope? See this, we are hardwired for hope. God, God created us to be people that hope. Why would God create us that way? It's real simple. Because we're created to be in relationship with God. In that relationship, this presence of an almighty God that can change everything, provokes hope. See, as a believer, our hope points to a promise that God has made. This is where our hope is anchored and grounded in. It's not grounded in that blog I read or that really interesting infographic that I found that was so encouraging. It's, it's not the, the advice of my, my personal trainer or my online dietitian. My hope is grounded in the promise of God. Now listen to me. This is why some of you need to study your Bible. Because you don't know what God has promised you. And you've hoped in everything else. You've hoped in the advice from your mom and what your best friends said and what you read online. But your hope is not anchored in the promise of God. And when I hope in the wrong things and I get there and I don't get what I hope for, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of us right now, the, the best hope we have for the new year is I, I, just, I just want better. I think that's what our resolutions say about us. I want to look better. I want to feel better. But the gospel doesn't just make us better. The gospel makes us new. Not just an upgrade, not just better, new. New. Theologically, when we talk about what happens between the time that a person surrenders their life to Jesus until they are glorified with Him in eternity, we call that process redemption. The redeeming of a soul. Being brought back from sin into right purpose with God. To be redeemed. Love that word. Deem meaning purposed or named. To be repurposed. To be given a new purpose and a new name. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 speaks of this new life. I'm going to read it to you today out of Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, in other words, anyone surrendered to God, gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Not an upgrade. 
not better, new. And this verse uses that word twice, new. It's the Greek word kainos, which literally means unused, untouched, a new kind, unprecedented. Can I, I didn't say this in the first service, but that, that untouched, there's some of us that some of our greatest struggles in life have come from how we've been touched by others when it was unwanted by others in anger and I love that this verse the simple promise of it is when I surrender my life to God he makes me so new it's as if I've never been touched one of the words is, the meanings of that word is unprecedented. That in Christ, there's never been anybody like you before. You might be saying, but listen, that's, that's not my experience. I mean, Kevin, you don't know. I've, I've struggled with that since I was a kid. And it's been the same thing over and over and over again. Just listen. The God that made you is able to remake you. This is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's from the word of God. You can hope in that. So on a day where we, we celebrate a new year with resolutions and dreaming about what my life could be as I step into a new season, I wanted to take some time and remind you of the promises that God has made. The promises that we can hope in. That we can put our, our heart into that promise. Because God's not going to fail us. I'm going to give you six things that God promises to make new. Number one, God promises to renew your mind. You ever think about how much of our struggle orients in our mind? Anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, oriented in the mind. And the promise of the Word of God is that God, when we surrender our life to Him, surrender our mind to Him, God will renew our mind. Romans 12, verse 2, look at this. Do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Some of us struggle with this. I don't want to change my mind about that. If you're not willing to surrender your mind to God, He can't transform it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about put on the mind of Christ. The promise here is, is that God can literally allow my mind to be transformed to a place where now the thoughts of God are what are being given birth to inside of my mind. You might struggle with depression. You might struggle with anxiety or fear or 
doubt or worry. But please listen, you don't have to do that forever. God can renew your mind. This is personal for me, okay? There was a season in my 20s, about five years, that I struggled with clinical anxiety. I did all the things, ate right, worked out, ended up being put on medication, prayed, sought the Lord. I can remember running and just running laps around the track and just saying over and over and over again in my mind verses that I'd memorized. I will tell you that on the other side of that fight, there is freedom, there is healing. God will renew your mind. If you'll surrender your mind to God, He promises to make it new. That struggle doesn't have to be forever. Number two, look at this. God gives us new abilities. God gives us new abilities. You might be that person in here that you think, I'm never going to do that. I'm not the person. I'm not gifted like that. I'm not good at that. No, I'll never be able to. Romans 12, verse 6, look at this. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. He's given us gifts. Supernatural, spiritual gifts. You might be in here thinking, I can't do that. I'm not organized. Listen, God can give you the gift of administration. It's a spiritual gift. All of a sudden, starts to make sense. Order, administration. My wife this year, in the past, a lot of anxiety around inviting people to our house. But this year, about halfway through the year, the Lord began to speak to her. I want you to invite some college kids over. So we started inviting some kids from Pfeiffer. Come over, we'll, we'll cook for you. And all of a sudden, what had always been stressful and anxious for her became a joy. Why? Because God was giving birth to the gift of hospitality. I said this earlier, but listen, the God that made you is able to remake you. You might be lying to yourself and saying, I can't do that. But God is able to give you gifts that will enable you to follow him. God is never going to leave you in a place where you can't do what he's telling you to do. God gives us new abilities. Number three, God gives us new eyes. Y'all like, oh, that's weird. No, I like my eyes. Am I going to fall asleep and wake up with different eye color? I'm not talking about that. Ephesians 1 verse 18 actually describes the eyes of our heart. It's the way we perceive the world, the way we see things, the eyes of our heart. And the thing is, is that sometimes the only thing that needs to change is the way you see something. You see it as a problem. You see it as a challenge. You see it as a difficulty. And God wants you to see it as a joy, as an opportunity, as a blessing. 
and that perspective, it just changes everything. In John chapter 9, Jesus meets a guy who's been blind since he was born. Now understand, Jesus' day and age, if you were blind when you were born, it was immediately full disability. You weren't able to work. You weren't able to take care of your family. Your whole life from that point on is going to be people taking care of you and you having to beg. It's where this guy had been. His whole community knows that. Jesus meets him literally. This is so weird. Takes some mud, rubs it on his eyes, which has got to be thoroughly weird to have watched. And then he goes, hey, go wash it off. And when he does, he can see. Which I, I think should tell us that sometimes what's keeping us from really being able to see is the junk from this world that we've allowed to cloud our eyes. But the people in his perspective, in his in his kind of community are confused and they come to him in John 9 at the end, verses 10 and 11. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Salome and wash. And I went and washed. And then I could see. Then. Hear me. Jesus is still in the business of opening people's eyes. Maybe this year, you don't need anything to change except the way you see the things in your life. It's so weird that sometimes the blessings we've prayed for become the challenges that we're trying to get over. Maybe you just need to say, God, help me to see it as the blessing it really is. God gives us new eyes, gives us new perspective. Number four, God gives us new patterns and rhythms. Life has a pattern and a rhythm. There are rhythms to life and patterns to our behavior. Think about that. Y'all ever know somebody that's always late? You know, anybody in here, that person that's always late, right? You ever know anybody that every time there's conflict, we're going to fight? It's always going to become a fight. Can't talk this out. There's going to be yelling. There's going to be screaming. Always going to be a fight. Or that person that when there's ever something that's a little tense, it's always going to become drama. The thing is, is that Jesus has the power to change what has been our always. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman there at the well in the middle of the day, and he comes face to face with her. She's there because of the shame of her life, because this woman has always chose men. Multiple relationships provoking lots and lots of shame. But her always is transformed when she comes face to face with Jesus. And the woman who has lived in shame goes back into her town and tells everybody about Jesus. And many come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of her testimony. Luke chapter 19. 
Zacchaeus, the tax collector, comes face to face with Jesus. Zacchaeus has always cheated people. That's been the way he's done life. He's a tax collector. He would add money on top of it, skim off of that. He's wealthy. He's always cheated. But he comes face to face with Jesus. I'm not going to do that anymore. And Zacchaeus actually inverts. I'm going I'm to bless the people I've cheated because of his encounter with Jesus. Jesus can turn our past always into future possibilities. This year, like I have always slept in. Okay, given the option, I was going to sleep until the last moment, get up, get ready, and go to work. My first year working as an adult, I got sent home because I was late so many times. This year, I started, just because I felt the Lord leading me to do it, I started getting up earlier. If you knew me 10 years ago, you would have said that's never going to happen. But what happens? God begins to shift our, I've always been that way, into the possibility of something for the future. If we're not willing to give up, if I'm not going to say no, if I'm not going to press pause, if I'm not going to relent. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 4. Look at this. So we're not giving up. I love that statement. I mean, how could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. What the Apostle Paul's saying here is that on the inside, God, it, we might not even see it on the outside yet. But if I'm going after him on the inside, he's given birth to something new. And eventually, on the outside, it's going to change the way I live. God will give you new patterns and new rhythms. And then number five, this is so important. God promises a new heart. A new heart. Some of us need that promise today. Because we have a broken heart. We come in having believed and hoped in a, a relationship or having hoped in this or that or that investment or that career and, and it wasn't what we thought it would be and it broke our hearts. Maybe we come in today with heavy hearts because there's something that's happened and it was we, we, we just are now carrying some grief, and some loss. Maybe you've been fooled in your heart. You believed in your heart. This is what I'm supposed to do. But you followed it and you followed it and you followed it only to find out that your heart had deceived you. There's a promise in Ezekiel 36. And it's a promise of what God is going to do after He sends His Messiah. The new that God is creating. And I want to show it to you. Because it speaks to this promise of a new heart. Look at this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Why do we have broken hearts? 
because our hearts are hard to God, okay? That's why. Hard to God, and then boom. Heart of stone, and what is the promise? I will take the hard heart and give you a heart of flesh. God's promise is not just upgrade, it's new. Why is this so important? Why is new heart so important? It's important because if you look at Proverbs 4, look at this. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything. Everything in your life is flowing out of your heart. The way you operate at home as a parent, the way you navigate your relationship with your spouse, the way you handle money and do friendships, it's all flowing out of your heart. And what's God's promise? I'll give you a new heart, which means it's a big deal. For something to be made new, that's what it says up there. It's kind of hard to see. It has to happen in your heart first. For something to be made new, it has to happen. So some of you, your prayer this year is, I, I want a, a new marriage. God, would you make my marriage new? God, would you give me new friendships? God, would you, whatever it is, and you're praying those prayers. Here's the thing. It's got to happen in your heart first. You're not going to have a new marriage if you're not given permission to God to transform the way that you and your heart navigate your marriage. You're not going to have a better relationship with money if you're not giving God space in your life to transform the way you and your heart view money. But if you do, Surrender your heart to God. Everything begins to become new, which is why you see number six, that God gives us new life. God gives us new life. This is the greatest promise of the gospel. It's echoed in the words we read earlier out of 2 Corinthians 5. Now we look inside... And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone and a new life emerges. God, through Jesus Christ, wants to give birth to a new life within you. So much so that I would argue that when you have surrendered your life to Jesus and begin to take the steps of following him, you look back and you go, I don't even recognize that life. This life is so new. Now remember, life flows out of your heart. So you can't have new life in Christ if your heart isn't surrendered to him. So many of us, we want the new life. We want what God has to offer, but our, our lives are surrendered to other things. As I was studying, I wrote this down. It, it's real simple. The new you per, pursue is evidenced by what you're surrendering to. This year and this new year, 
the new that you pursue is evidenced by what you're surrendering to. There are some of us, we have plans to surrender our lives to the keto diet, okay? All right, I'm going to surrender to it. And what does that mean? That means the way I shop at the grocery store is going to change. And the way that I cook is going to change. And the way we go out to eat is going to change. I'm going to surrender my life to that. Some of you are making plans to surrender your life to the gym. I'm going to rearrange our evenings and responsibilities so that I can make the time to be at the gym. Whatever you decide to go after will require a surrender. So I guess the real question I'm asking is will you find your new this year by surrendering to Jesus? Will you find the new, maybe in your heart or in the areas that you've said I can't or all of those things? Will you find it in Jesus? Because there are a lot of people making promises about what they can give you. But they don't have what he does. Think about what he's promised. I can change your mind. You've struggled with depression. You've struggled with anxiety. I can change your mind if you'll surrender it to me. You you said, I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that. I know you're calling me into it, but God, I'm saying no because I can't. He's saying no. Listen, I can give you the ability if you'll surrender your life. God, I've never seen the world this way. I feel like my perspective is constantly migrating towards anxiety and worry and fear and doubt. And I think the worst of people and I'm constantly wrestling with problems that aren't real problems. I can give you new eyes. I can give you a new perspective. I've always been this way. I've always struggled with this. I've always been the person that does that. It's always been drama. It's always been conflict. But I can can rescue the patterns of your life. But God, my heart's broken. It's heavy. I can give you a new heart. I don't like my life. I can give you a new life. Go find somewhere else that can make those kind of promises. Because the truth is, you can't. You can't. He has what they don't. And in your heart, Right now, you might be planning to surrender to some things this year. And it might not even be bad stuff. I'm not even saying that. Go, go get in shape. Go eat better. Go do all of that. But Jesus didn't die to make you better. He died to make you new. died 
so that you could have a new heart, a new life, to have a new perspective, to have new abilities, to be able to navigate the world through different patterns. He died to make you new. But the only way to get that is to surrender to him. That's it. Because whatever you're surrendered to supremely is what you're trusting to deliver that new. It's my prayer today that in this room we'll just say, I'm going to supremely surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe today for you it's the need to say, I'm going to surrender my marriage God, we've struggled. It's been a rough year. I surrender my marriage. Maybe today it's for you. It's a relationship. Maybe it's your parenting. I surrender my parenting. Maybe for you today, it's your finances. I don't know what it is. But I know that in many ways we all need to surrender. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.